You're listening to Kindling Conversation with Siobhan Hunt, part of Kindling Kids Radio. I'm curious, do you talk to your baby? It can feel a bit strange. Obviously, they can't talk back or at least not in any language that we understand, but it's actually really good for them. Professor Mark DeRosnay is Academic Director and Professor of Child Development at Early Start at the University of Wollongong, and he's here to talk to us about talking to babies. Hi, Mark. How are you? Very well. How are you? Good, thank you. So why is it important that we speak to our babies? There are so many answers to that. The simplest one is is this. We, we often have this intuition that we're talking to a baby and they don't understand what we're saying. So it's kind of hard to, to justify persisting, <laughs> yes. right? But But actually, if you think about this carefully, what you realize is babies comprehension far outstrips their production. So that's a bit technical. So what I mean is their ability to understand language is way ahead of their ability to use language productively to say things out loud. So by the time they're between 12 and 18 months, they understand a huge amount of language and they're well on their way to producing language. And they're using gestures and signs and symbols and routines that show that they understand the language. Now, to get to that point, they need to be exposed to language. They need to have people interacting with them so they can become rich understanders of language. There's another, and that, of course, has to be in place before they can start using language well. How does that, um, when you talk about the, um, you know, all of that building up to them actually speaking, Mm. how do we know the impact, Mm. let's say, of a parent who speaks a lot to their baby compared to one who doesn't speak much to them at all. Yeah. It's easiest always to understand this from extreme examples. Um, There was a beautiful and very tragic study done uh, in, I think it was the 80s, I can't remember, Risley and Risley, or Risley and Risley, um, and it showed something quite dramatic. They went to a particular neighbourhood which was known to be quite deprived, Um, high degree of risk, their parents really struggling to get by. It was, I think, if I remember correctly, it was the south side of Chicago, but I might be wrong on that. And they just measured how much uh, mums and dads were talking to their children, to their babies in the first three to four years of their lives. Then they compared them with ordinary blue-collar working, blue-collar working-class families in the US. These are their terms, not mine, right? And then they uh, compared them to professional families. Um, And first of all, the amount of speech that children received was dramatically different. And this might shock people. By four years of age, the children who have parents who are professionals, educated at college, had heard about 30 million words. Wow. (laughs) Yeah, more than 30 million words. And that's if you count every single word that they've heard, right? Mm -hmm. The kids at the other extreme on the south side of Chicago or wherever it was, uh, coming from very deprived neighbors and great adversity, had heard approximately 8 million words. Wow. So there's what we call that the poverty of the stimulus. These kids are just not getting exposed to language as, as a, you know, and the, even in the blue-collar families, there was much, much more language exposure. And so that then played out. It played out in the children's own vocabulary. And we see it in other ways. We see it in the ch- child's ability to communicate with others and to fit in and to use language instrumentally to get things done. But you could see dramatic differences in the children's actual vocabulary size by the time they were four. What does that, um, I mean, what are the obstacles for parents talking to their kids? I mean, they were mm. just, obviously they went to different areas. Yeah. 
Why would a professional family speak mm. more to their child than one? Well, there's a good news story here, which is we do studies in all sorts of families, and I have over you know a couple of decades now, and and we find working class families from poor neighbourhoods who use just as rich language as your average middle class, well educated family. In fact, sometimes more. And we find you know well educated middle class families who don't spend time with their kids and don't talk much to them. So it's not a there's not a simple rule here. But the biggest determinant, really, the biggest determinant, I'd say there are two things that are really big obstacles to having rich communicative interactions with babies. The first one is well known in the literature and it's been studied quite well and we understand some of its impacts. And that's when uh, that's when the mother is under extreme stress. You know, she might have postnatal depression. She might not be supported, uh, etc. Yeah. Um, although that doesn't guarantee it, of course. You know, some mums are very stoic and get through. Many do, most do, right? That's important to acknowledge. But you know, postnatal depression is a, one of the classic obstacles to rich mother-infant communication, and and we really need to act on that and do something about it. But the the other one is much more commonplace. It's much more pedestrian. It's what we believe. It's what we we think we know, you know? And it's that, that sort of echo of talking to someone who doesn't talk back to you, right? So this is where science is helpful because I can assure you there is now 30, no, 40 years of good science to show that babies are very attentive to language. They can't speak to you in words, but they can speak to you in all sorts of gestures affects, emotions, um, they can, even by 12 months of age, just, just think about this for a second. By 12 months of age, we know with a high degree of certainty that if you've been interacting with a baby, like your own child, someone who knows you well, a baby who knows you well, and you leave the room and something changes, they will try to update you. They'll try <laughs> really? to fill you in about what happened <laughs> while you were away. Yeah? Yeah, how do they do that? Like They use pointing, mm-hmm. they use expression. They might go over and show where the thing is. So just step back from that and think about that for a second. That implies that they know that you haven't seen it. And furthermore, it implies that they know that they can tell you about it. And that's 12 months, 12 months of age. So there's a richness there, which we just have to accept because it's real. You're listening to Kindling Conversation. I'm speaking with Professor Mark DeRosne, who's the Academic Director and Professor of Child Development at Early Start, based at University of Wollongong. Um, we have been talking about babies, Mark, but I'm I'm just going to be a bit self-involved for a moment because... Um, You've got children. I have children, ah, that's <laughs> right. They're, they're three and five. Yeah, the yeah. five-year-old's been articulate for yeah. many years. Yeah. Um, my three-year-old, on the other hand, one thing that I'm, I'm not sure if other parents struggle with this, but mm. my son will talk a lot to me mm-hmm. and I feel like such a a-hole sometimes because he'll talk to me and mm. I'll, I'll, I'll just think, I just... I have no idea what you said, and I know there's intention in it. Absolutely. I know it Mm. makes sense to him, Mm. but I don't want to keep asking him to repeat himself Mm. because Mm. I feel like I'm being patronizing. Yeah. This happens, my 18-month-old does this. She talks me in long sentences. I don't don't know what they mean. (laughs) I don't know what they mean. But, you know, I've had three other children who did the same thing. Actually, one not so much, but the other two, the same thing. And I think we just have to do our best. Right? Can we discern, can we figure out their intent? What, what are they likely to be talking about? Give them an opportunity to show us that we've got it wrong. So, I mean, Josephine, she's 18 months old. She wants to read a book. I get the wrong book. 
I think she wants to read a book because she's said something elaborate. She's gestured over towards the bookshelf. So I go over and get a book and I say to her, is this the one you want? And I hold it up and she can indicate if it's not. Well, then I can take her by the hand and we can go over and we can figure it out. Now, who knows if I got that right in the first place, (laughs) right? Maybe she didn't want a book at all, but now she's in a communication with me. And she understands the terms of the communication and she can say what she wants and I can respond to that. So I think we just have to do our best. Often, often if you understand what the child's doing um, and you understand the surroundings and you understand their likes, if you know them well, if you're their parent, for example, then you can figure out a lot of what they're talking about. But sometimes it's just like when you're talking to someone with a terrible accent and you can't understand what... You just have to smile and and acknowledge and be in there in the communication and hope that you're going to get something soon that you can use (laughs) and you can act on. And um, so, sorry, I'll I'll move on from my Mm. self-indulgent question, but thank you. I'll be much more patient with myself now. (laughs) Um, When we go back to talking Mm. to babies, for Mm. example, Mm. and you know how you said Mm. before that it's about what we're thinking that the child Mm. doesn't understand. Do you have any tips for parents who are like, okay, well, how do I start this conversation? How do I, you know, do I start talking to them about my philosophy on religion or do I just tell them that I'm putting out the washing? Do you know what kind of things do you? I, I think the, your your own personal philosophy is something that you will transmit <laughs> in your behaviours over many years to your children. Um, probably not the best content for one-year-olds. <laughs> Although one-year-olds understand... Right, there are a couple of things here. Um, so maybe just a little bit of developmental psychology and then I'll say some specific strategies. Does that be helpful? Yes. Yeah, okay. So the the first thing is the way you communicate with a, with a baby who's who's just been born... And some babies, full-term baby or post-term, everything's well. They're not. They're out of that sleepy phase, you know. You can communicate with a baby like that. I mean, I've got videos of babies at four weeks of age having very rich communications with their mums. But not everyone should expect that, right? And sometimes it doesn't come until t- even two months after the birth, especially if the child was a little bit early or something like that. A preterm child takes longer. So you need to be patient. You need to slow down. All those early communications are very intimate. They're here... They're now, they're sensual, they're emotional, and they're in this space between two people. Because, and there's a technical reason for that. There are all sorts of other reasons, loving reasons, or hormones surging through our bodies, and the baby being built to suck you into communication. But there's a really practical reason, which is babies can't refer to things. They don't point yet. They can't talk about something. They can only exchange what's going on in real time between you and me until about nine months and from about eight to nine months this really profound change starts to occur where they start to bring other objects into the communication and we call that reference so they can point to things you can look at the thing by about 12 to 15 months they'll point you can look you're talking about the same thing so there's some developmental psychology there is a cognitive brain-related change between about 8 and 12 months where the very nature of communication changes. But it doesn't really matter in some respects because if you have good communicative patterns prior to that change, you will carry them over seamlessly into that new burgeoning cognitive capacity. If you're struggling to communicate prior, you will be struggling to communicate post as well. But that is important. The The really rich communication with a little baby is just between you, the baby and yourself. You slow down. 
You've got to give them time. The only parts of their body that can react in real time are their, their face, their arms, all the gestural stuff. Um, sometimes even their head gets dislodged. You need to slow down. You need to, it's almost like they need a little sign around them saying, I take a few seconds to respond. <laughs> right? And so you yeah. just make an adjustment, get into their zone. And don't try to have those rich communications when they're fussing or when they're, or when they're too tired. I mean, there are moments for these things and they're not all the time. Okay, so that's one bit of developmental psychology. Another bit of developmental psychology is irrespective of what you're doing with your baby, there's all this language going on around them. And it's good for them to hear that. So, oh, it's time to hang out the washing. Let's go get the washing out of the washing machine. Come on, let's go. Carry, put down. I'm getting it out. I think we should hang this out in the sun today. Or should we put it in the dryer? Let's go and see if it's raining. Oh, dear, it's raining. You know, let's put it. This is very helpful. This is language. And also language between you and your friends. Go to mother's group or go to, you know, play group the babies are around hearing other people talk this is all valuable they're pulling out the sounds that they need for language Um, they're looking at they're observing how communication functions so there's observational learning there's automatic uh, learning of of the sound groups of our languages and the the prosody of our language so being in language rich environments is helpful period Um, but also to know that when you're in those one-to-one communications um, you've, you've just got to give that baby the benefit of having their own their own point of view they've got their own point of view and you're struggling to understand it and and sometimes i think because being a parent can be very tough right and some babies are very difficult and that's subjective and and sometimes when we've had easy babies we don't give credit for how hard it can be sometimes people can think that the babies are angry with them or or thinking bad things about them that's not true it feels like that sometimes but we need to we need to keep those thoughts out of our heads because those are really bad for communication. Oh, yeah. gosh, I can yeah. imagine. Yeah. Mark, I could talk to you all afternoon. Unfortunately, I'm going to oh, have to wrap have up. I talked out. Oh, no. We, <laughs> just the time. Sorry. No, don't apologize. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming in today. It's a pleasure. That's Professor Mark DeRosnay. He's the Academic Director and Professor of Child Development at Early Start at the University of Wollongong. We didn't even get to start talking about the discovery space that is at Wollongong University, but we're going to put links up on the website. And I, if you're interested in what Mark was talking about, I really encourage you to go along and check them out. You've been listening to a Kindling Conversation podcast. We'd like to reach as many parents as possible and you can help us by giving us a review wherever you downloaded this episode. It means that more people can find us. I'm Siobhan Hunt. See you next time.